Welcome to the CX Pod Europe from TTEC. Hello and welcome to the CX Pod Europe from TTEC, your CX podcast providing thought leadership and executive insight on customer issues. My name is Mark Hillary. I'm a writer and analyst focused on CX, and I'm your host for this edition of the podcast. Professor Moira Clark is a professor of strategic marketing at Henley Business School in the UK. She's also the founder and director of the Henley Center for Customer Management. This research center develops joint research initiatives between Henley and a consortium of organizations who want to further their knowledge and understanding of leading edge best practice in customer management. Professor Clark will be speaking at two events hosted by T-Tech EMEA and Intelligent Sourcing Magazine on October 14th and November 25th in London. If you look at the show notes for this podcast, you can find more details on how to register for the events. Now, these two events are going to be themed around the next normal, building back better customer relationships. And in this edition of the podcast, we asked Professor Clark to give a preview of some of the themes that will be covered in the events. Moria, it's great to have you on the podcast. Now, I know that you've researched the connection between service excellence, so, you know, the quality of service received and customer retention. So, so how strong is, is that correlation uh, in, in your own research then? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well, I have actually researched the link and uh, yes, it is very strong. But the link that I've particularly researched is the link between organizational climate and customer retention. Now, organizational climate, basically, um, people often refer to it as culture, but actually really it's climate, which is what are the practices, procedures, and reward systems around here? In other words, what do people do? You know, we judge companies and managers by their actions, not their pious statements of intent. Lovely quote from Sir Adrian Cabri. So, um, and that's really what we're talking about is what actually happens here. And so what we find is that from climate, what actually happens around here, that does impact our service excellence. Because if the, you know, locally, if people accept the fact that customers will just wait in a queue, then that's the kind of climate, that's what happens around here. And of course, that service service excellence then, of course, does impact customer retention. So we at the Henley Centre for Customer Management have done a lot of research in that area and have really shown some strong links between those. So um, you're probably then going to say, well, Moira, well, what is the climate then? Well, climate is things like, as I said, the practice, procedures and rewards. But, you know, how much cohesion, team spirit is there? You know, how much warmth and support? What are the practices and procedures for service? customer service because if a company hasn't got any decent practices and procedures for customer service then obviously there's not going to be very much good customer service you know how do you recognize and reward your staff if you treat your staff really badly and you know punish them in whatever punish them meaning you know if you you even ignore them or you're constantly nagging them or constantly complaining about something then the chances are they're going to take it out on the customer I mean one of the things I love doing um, Mark, is that if I get bad customer service, in the old days, I would say to people, um, yeah, I'd complain. But now I say, have you had a bad day? And they'll say, have I had a bad day? You've no idea what it's like working here. And then I'll go, oh, I know. You know and they'll tell me how bad their life is and how badly treated they are by the company or their boss or the organization and so forth. And out it all pours. So absolutely, yes, you know, there definitely is a link between service excellence and customer retention. But that link starts with what are the practices, procedures and rewards of the firm? You know, what is the climate of that organization? If you can get that climate right, 
you'll have great customer retention. Yeah, that sounds like a great way to uh, to do some sort of corporate research, find out the culture of an organization by calling the customer service line. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember a case study featuring Lego, the, the toy company, where they, they had excellent customer service reports, um, but it cost them a lot of money to provide that, that level of customer care. And so they sort of did a study to see, you know, is it worth just providing adequate care rather than excellent care? And, you know, would, would it be worth us reducing the budget? So, so how do the company leaders, well, in the Lego example, they, they decided actually, no, the, the excellent service is worth the money they put into it. But, but how do they make that decision? I mean, how do you decide, well, here's a baseline, this is adequate, and, and right up here is excellent, but at the same time, it's going to cost us twice as much to do that? Well, I think there's two things there. One, of course, is, you know, what your vision is for the company, how do you see how you're positioned in the marketplace. And of course, somebody like Lego will want to position themselves as being superb at customer service, as do Emirates and uh, Qatar Airlines and, and Virgin and First Direct. You know, they all want to have that position. So I think that's number one, it's how you position yourself. Because if you start reducing the customer service, then that's going to impact on your brand and impact on the position that you have in the marketplace. But the other thing that I think you have to do is you have to work out your lifetime value as a customer. You know, so if you work out, uh, well, there was a really old famous example of this with Domino Pizzas, and they worked out that the lifetime value of a Domino Pizza customer was $10,000, which is a huge amount. So what they did is they trained the staff to pretend that they saw emblazoned on the forehead of every customer that came in to buy a pizza, $10,000. So they treated you as if you were going to buy this $10,000 pizza. And so, of course, if a customer came in and complained and said, well, this, this pizza's rubbish, it's cold or something, even though you know it just came out of the oven, you would, of course, just say, no problem, madam or sir, or whatever, you know, we'll change it for you straight away. Because if you know that your lifetime value is so high, that then allows you to know what do you need to reinvest in the customer in order to retain them. So what kind of level of service do you need to provide in order to make sure you keep those customers for the future? So I think looking at your lifetime value as a customer is a really important way of saying, well, how much do we need to invest in this relationship in order to make sure that we retain them for the future? Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point because across the customer care industry, you know, um, especially in the contact centers, all of the metrics and measurements seem to be, you know, how quickly can we deal with this customer? How short can we make this phone call? And, 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 you know, these are all the kind of classic metrics. And yet that doesn't take into account this idea of the $10,000 on somebody's forehead at all. Absolutely. And that goes back when I was just talking to you before about the, the organizational climate. Because if you reward people for the call they handle in a given time frame, what they're going to do is rush off the phone because actually they're going to make more money by that. You know, what you should be rewarding people for, of course, is uh, customer satisfaction or net promoter score or something like that, which might may mean that you need to talk to that customer a bit longer on the phone, but you're going to get a better outcome. So I think you have to be very, very careful about how you reward staff because what you reward is going to be what you get. Yeah, you'll get lots of quick phone calls, but very, very unhappy customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes back to the point you were making about the satisfaction of the employees. So so do the employees actually feel um, that their employer is interested in them and that engages them in, in their job and their career? Um, and I think it seems that 
this is more critical in customer care than, than in many other sectors because clearly these people are at the front line. They're, they're engaging with customers constantly. Um, so uh, the example you gave, you know, when you just asked someone how bad their day is and they started talking about the company. And so, you know, clearly, ha, ha, have you actually sort of researched this idea of employee engagement improving customer engagement? Yeah, we certainly have. And our results are a little controversial, I have to tell you, because, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of consulting firms uh, have sold in um, research programs that look at, oh, your higher employee engagement, the better your customer service. Our research doesn't show that. Um, what it shows is that absolutely you need employee engagement if you want your staff to stay, to, re- to re- be retained. And yes, you need employee engagement if you want them not to be stressed out and if you don't want them to be off work all the time. So employee engagement is important. But what we found in our research was that the higher the employee engagement rate for this, the worse the net promoter score is and the worse the profitability and the performance is. Now, you may say, hang on a minute, Moira, that's not right. And to be honest with you, to begin with, we went, whoa, those results are a little odd. But what we discovered was, which I thought was really interesting, was that um, the, the higher the engagement, in other words, the more the staff love their job, the more customers get in the way of what otherwise would be a good day. So customers became a bit of an inconvenience to actually, I'm really enjoying myself here and, and I'm engaged and I love my job, but they get in the way. And what we found was the real driver of performance and profitability and net promoter score was organizational climate. So if you can get your organizational climate right, then you're going to have much better net promoter profitability performance. And yes, as I said, you need your employee engagement, but that's not the be all and the end all. If you just focus on that, you're in danger of really not having happy customers. And in fact, I've presented on that, uh, Mark, a number of times. And if quite a lot of companies have come up to me afterwards and said, Moira, that is so true. We can't understand why we've got these great employee engagement scores, but our customer satisfaction and our net promoter scores are in the toilet. And actually, this is now kind of explained why that is the case. So uh, I just want to be to watch and be careful of, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting because there's always that assumption that that uh, great engagement then suddenly leads to a great customer experience as well. Yeah. Um, is this connected to the fact that perhaps the role of the customer service agent is also changing? Uh, because I'm thinking that we're seeing much better self-service. You know, people are asking Alexa for help or they're going to their smartphone and asking for help before they ever call for a for a customer care agent. Um, and even when they do contact a brand, they may have um, a chatbot that, that's helping them with basic inquiries. So it seems that maybe the human to human interaction is is possibly like the, the third or fourth interaction with that brand um, where the customer is facing a problem. I mean, d- does this mean that we, we might need different types of skills from agents? Yeah, I I think it does, actually. And what's interesting to note is that in the UK, um, as in many parts of the world, actually, we've got seriously aging populations. I mean, I don't know if you know that at the moment in the UK, despite the COVID crisis, we now have more people over the age of 65 than we have under the age of 15. Right. And which is really quite staggering if you think about it. So, you know, you've got a much, much older population. Everything is shifting online. In fact, I'm doing a talk about this on Wednesday with the Henley Centre for Customer Management, talking about vulnerable customers. But everything is shifting online. And so people will, of course, self-service where they can. 
But when they can't self-service, um, and maybe older generations don't want to self-service, but maybe sometimes even younger people who have exhausted all the online options and self-service options have to finally speak to somebody. So if you're going to call a call center and you're actually going to speak to someone, you probably need them to deal with much more complex issues. It's not going to be as straightforward perhaps as it might be. So what we found is that those, um, when people do contact the contact center, you know, they do need to have different kinds of skills. So you've got to have better empathy, better interpersonal skills uh, for certain. Um, You've got to be able to also multitask because you're going to probably have to deal with um, the interpersonal skills as well as a plethora of IT systems in the background and different platforms and so forth. So you've also got to have IT skills as well because these older consumers that we have at the moment, you know, um, and we'll have for some foreseeable future, you know, they're looking for interpersonal relationships. You know, they're less able to multitask their decisions will take longer. And if they have to make a complex decision, that's likely to be rationed. In other words, oh, I'll leave that till Saturday when I've got a few hours, I can sort out my mobile phone contract or if I want to take out a loan and so forth. And the other thing that's really important to them is they don't want distractions like music and noise because that hampers decision-making. So if you've got a contact center, the last thing you should be doing is having noise in the background and so forth. So I do think that to deal with those um, older, more mature customers, the uh, cu- the role of the customer service worker is going to change and they do need to have more empathetic skills and more understanding and more patience as well. So it is going to change for the future. Yeah, it's funny because some contact centers seem to deliberately allow the background noise to give that impression of being busy. Yeah, so it's, a, it's in- that's an interesting point. But, you know, that's stressful not only for the customer, but also for the contact center worker because they can't often hear themselves think, you know. <laughs> I guess the customer going, I can't hear what you're saying, and it's just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you think that maybe the the all of the kind of customers facing processes within organizations are essentially coming together and that it's, that it's important for services like marketing, sales, customer service to, to actually be more coordinated? Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. And, and actually, uh, I have been hearing some really interesting examples where that has happened. One company that perhaps should remain nameless, they actually moved their marketing department into the customer service department, which was also part of the, the contact center. And you can imagine the marketing people weren't really over enamored about this. They wanted to stay in their nice offices and so forth. They're now being moved into the contact center. But it really paid dividends because what was happening is that the marketing people would be, you know, subconsciously or even consciously listening to these calls and hearing the contact center staff saying things to the customers. And they go, well, why are you saying that? Because that's not true. We don't do that anymore. Or our customer insight is telling us one thing and you're saying something completely different. So it actually did bring them together and were able to make much more of a coordinated um, effort. Because one of the big challenges we see in many corporates is actioning customer insight at the front line. So many companies are great at collecting data. They've got bucketfuls of it. You know, it's often in great lots of silos in different places, but they've got lots of customer data. From that data, they're not very good at getting customer insight. So they're not very good at the customer insight. But let's say they've got the customer insight, which would be great. And then they're mostly terrible at actioning that insight because the actioning the insight happens at the front line. And most of the people on the front line aren't aware of what's happened in the back office. So I think if you, the more you can get some alignment between marketing, customer service and sales, the better it is. And just finally then, um, just as a sort of a top tip, I guess, 
you've just, I mean, in, in the last 10 or 15 minutes, you've rattled through corporate culture, um, bringing silos together, um, and, and the, uh, the idea of the employee engagement as well. Um, I, I mean, it's difficult to sort of rank all of these different areas, but, uh, if I was an executive with this, with, a failing customer service department, then where, where where should I just look first? What 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 would be the the top priority? Oh, the top priority for me would be to get some really good customer insight. Find out from your customers um, what they like, what they don't like, what they think could be improved. And by that, Mark, I absolutely do not mean sending your poor customers some lengthy, lengthy customer service questionnaire. It is a nightmare. I'm sure we've all had those from airlines in the past that we've flown on a lot that we're flying on many these days where you get, I don't know, 10-page survey. You think, I really don't need this. What When a customer has had a customer service experience, you know, if it's not gone well, I just want to tell you what that one thing is. So let me do some um, text. Let me text back to you what the problem is. Just collect those top of the mind issues that the, the customers hate. What are the things they love? What are the things they hate? What could we do better? And I would take that data and then analyze that data. And from that data, if you saw that some of the things that they really don't like could be the attitude of the staff, uh, they keep rushing you off the phone, they, they don't sound interested, they're not very empathetic, it tells you, wow, we, we need to address some of the staff issues. If they're constantly moaning about my product didn't deliver on time, then you need to look at your logistics. If they're telling you about product quality, then you need to look at your product quality. So please don't send them these huge questionnaires where you're asking them everything. They'll just lose the will to live. So just focus on getting some really good quality customer insight and then action that insight and certainly don't collect it unless you're planning on actioning it because all that will happen is your customers will give you feedback nothing will change and they'll go well i'm not doing that again because nothing's changed so that's that would be my top tip all right moira that's fantastic thank you very much thank you very much mark thanks for listening to the cx pod europe that's all we have time for today Please check ttech.com slash EMEA slash CXPod for other episodes of the podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye until the next episode.